0: Welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your Rainbow Bastion for all things pro-wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here once again with another edition of the show for you, uh, my doting audience. <laughs> God, I sound so pompous by saying that. No, we are back once again as part of the Outsports Radio Network um, to talk a little bit of pro-wrestling. And I thought that this week we would have some fun talking about a topic that, you know, myself and Casey touched on in last week's episode, um, women's pro wrestling. You know, last week, Casey and I, we talked about how there was a noticeable lack of women performers on the DOA show that we went to. Um, shout out Liza Hall (laughs) for, uh, for being the one woman on that show who totally kicked ass. Um, but, but yeah, it's a topic that we haven't really broached too much on this show um, so far in the two months that we've been on the air, and I thought there would be no better person to discuss that with um, than Emily Fear, uh, one half of the crew over at Grit and Glitter, uh, a podcast part that is part of the uh, Pro Wrestling Torch family that focuses on women's pro wrestling, and of course, added bonus, Emily Fear um, is. Uh, on the queer spectrum, uh, which is totally rad, because we're always about elevating queer voices here on LGBT in the ring. Um, but, no, it was a very fun, lively discussion um, about the a lot of issues within women's pro wrestling right now, a lot of what brought Emily to pro wrestling to begin with, because, you know, she's still, I think, relatively... In terms of like year, like time frame, young in her fandom, but definitely not an investment, um, and that comes across a lot in this show, and I and I really enjoy talking to her about not just the women's uh, wrestling uh, events, but also about Ring of Honor, um, because you know Ring of Honor is a promotion that is very near and dear to my heart, and they have not had the best 2019, um, and. More recently, those issues have grown exponentially. Um, so, yeah, we we get into the Kelly Klein incident. Uh, we get into some of the 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 poor booking that Ring of Honor has been going through um, in the in this year. Um, and you know, it's it's very fitting that Ring of Honor is a pretty heavy topic of discussion as uh, their year-end pay-per-view final battle is coming up on Friday, and the card itself looks pretty good, like just on paper. I mean, you have you know, Roosh and PCO in the main event. Uh, you have guys like Jeff Cobb, Taven against uh, Marseglia. Like you have Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham against the Briscoes. Like There's a lot of good quality talent on the show, but uh, there's just something missing from Ring of Honor right now. Um, And, you know, we'll see if they find it in 2020. But, you know, we get into some of the issues that that the company has been seeing here in in this conversation. Um, But, yeah, I mean, outside of Ring of Honor, like, this is kind of shipping out to be a pretty stacked weekend for pro wrestling as well. You know, we have the WWE TLC show on Sunday. You got a big warrior wrestling show coming up um, that's streaming on Fight.tv. Not to mention, uh, I believe, the Shine Nova Championship Tournament is starting up um, on the 13th as well. So, like, a lot of stuff going on. Um, But before we get into uh, the conversation here, I do want to give a quick shout-out to Marvelous Pro Wrestling. Because over there, this past weekend on Sunday we saw um, an awesome trans tag team formed. Um, if only for one night, we'll see if it expands beyond that, but Nyla Rose of All Elite Wrestling teamed up with Asuka, of, uh, probably most notably of DDT, maybe Pro Wrestling Wave as well, over in Japan, um, and to form a awesome trans tag team um, that I only hope... Uh, lives up to the hype because I haven't seen the match yet <laughs> and we get in Emily and I both get into that in the conversation as well but that Marvel I'm really hoping that Marvelous show or at least some of the matches get posted because um, it was an eventful show outside of the Nyla Asuka team up and the, nice, and the Nyla Asuka team up was already pretty notable um, so yeah we'll see if that gets posted but while we wait please enjoy this fun conversation that I had with Emily Fear. all right guys gals and non-binary pals welcome back to lgbt in the ring um and it is my pleasure to have as my guest this week um someone who you might know if you are familiar with the bw torch um and their slate of daily podcasts over there Um, she is one half of the team that puts out Grit and Glitter, a podcast focused on women's professional wrestling, it comes out every Tuesday over there in the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Um, I would like to welcome one, Emily Fear, to the show. How are you doing tonight, Emily?
1: I'm doing great, Brian. How are you
0: doing? i am doing amazing yay yes i'm staying (laughs) warm in my in my little room here and and it's it's been a nice little like working vacation for me so
1: (laughs) excellent excellent Yeah. yeah no our temperature went from i'm in i'm in like pittsburgh pennsylvania so our temperature this morning was a like balmy 56 degrees and the temperature has dropped all day long so by the time i was walking home from the from the bus it was like I think we're down to, like, 32 now, so, yeah, oh. it got cold, real, real
0: Jesus. cold. I didn't know, well, yeah. I guess I knew it got that cold up there, but also, like, you think about, like, Britsburg, and you just don't know <laughs> yeah. just how cold it gets. Anyway. <laughs>
1: That's right. Got, come on, you got to have some respect for Britt Baker. Like she exactly. survives, but she has survived many Western Pennsylvania winters. So just saying,
0: kudos to that. <laughs> a sure, a sure show of endurance there. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted to have you on the show because one, um, you are fully entrenched in the, the world of women's professional wrestling, um, and that's some a topic that. I haven't really had a lot of chances to discuss on the show as of yet and and I really wanted to talk about that with you but also you yourself um identify as queer yes. and yeah you know, I, I and that is what this show is here for is to bring queer voices within pro wrestling all facets of pro wrestling um to the table. So I guess to start off with before we get into some of the the topics that we that we wanted to go through today um Let's get to know you a little bit. Like, how did you come to uh, pro wrestling as a fan?
1: Well, um, so I have told this story on Great Glitter before, but – and when before we had Great and Glitter, we ran a show for a long time on PW Torch um, that was just about um, Ring of Honor called Talking Honor. And so when I was brought onto that show, I kind of prefaced my fandom as fairly new, which it at that point really was, because I was back in April 2018, and I had been a hardcore wrestling fan for maybe a handful of months. Um, <clears throat> so I came into my wrestling fandom actually fairly recently. But when I was probably like 13 or 14, I went through a very brief and very secretive Monday Night Raw uh, fixation. And I like I've been trying to find the exact dates that this might have happened, like to overlap with the storylines. But I remember like just immediately zeroing in on a couple of people who were featured on on um, Raw at that point, and just like my number one guy, my number one like wrestler was chris jericho and you know lo and behold like decades later i become an actual like active like out in the open wrestling fan and who should still be wrestling and like super duper famous but chris (laughs) jericho so it's just like hey you know we're still in this together dude this is great
0: the man this is does not go away
1: no, and and honestly, nor should he. He is a he's a treasure. Oh, no. Even even with his uh rather you know, honestly not surprising sketchy politics, he is still like the ultimate like wrestler. I honestly think that there's like nobody who really understands the wrestling business like Chris Jericho does, but um and has a has made he's like the Madonna of wrestling. Honestly, oh, totally. he just like every era. Of wrestling, really, that he's been involved with, he has been able to work with and to fit into, and he knows how to evolve without like ever having to really change his own wrestling style that much. But he just has impeccable timing and, and impeccable like comedy chops, even. He's just, yeah, he's a great performer. But so, yeah, so I went through a very like brief period of fandom, like very secretive, but whenever I was like 13. But the problem with being a fan, uh, especially like a female, Fan of wrestling at that age was that this was like definitely toward like in the attitude era. So, wrestling was not a super hospitable place for women at that point, especially for like younger female fans. And, you know, there definitely wasn't like as much women's wrestling on my radar. I knew of China and China was awesome, but I didn't really know of any other women. And China was kind of set apart from like. any like you know women's like cohesive women's division in wwe so to me it was just like okay there's china and then there's all these dudes and then any other woman who's featured is either taking her clothes off or fighting while taking her clothes off or or having her clothes stripped from her while attempting to fight or balleting or being kidnapped like those were the storylines i remember from like my brief time as a youth wrestling fan. And also, in addition to that, it was like the Attitude Era for so many of us who were not wrestling fans was just like boys in my school, like yelling, suck it at at girls.
0: Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> <They> <laughs>
1: hit at each other. I mean, let's be fair, they also yelled at each other.
0: Oh yeah, but, yeah, no, like just exposing things that they did not resolve until much later on in life.
1: Yeah, so it's <laughs> like, so like, and I didn't really, I didn't know anyone who was a wrestling fan who wasn't one of those boys or one of the, like the Austin 316 t-shirt wearing guys who like I was kind of afraid of because they seemed like, like intimidating and, and like I was a dork and on like the newspaper and like, like who was going to talk to me about wrestling. And so I dropped it pretty quickly. Like I went through like a month or two where I was like watching Monday Night Raw and I was following the storylines. I didn't really understand much about the wrestling itself but I, wa- I watched it for the stories and after giving it up, I didn't really look back. And then, um, so, so I for this queer and that's, be- that's, there's a long, you know, illustrious, uh, background to that, but I am in a, like, I am in what people you know assume is like a heteronormative relationship. I'm, I'm married to a cis man and he, um, was uh, laid up with an injury in January of 2018. And he's always like, he's, Was a wrestling fan from way back when um he was especially a big fan like when he was a teen and into his early 20s and then had walked away after a couple of things was already cutting his his fandom was already starting to wane but um what really did it for him was was chris benoit and what happened to the benoit family and to chris benoit and that's like a sticky subject so we don't have to go there and i'm sorry but i'm sorry mentioning that is a his name is is uh, triggering for some people. But he was a really important wrestler to my husband. And um all of the things that happened on that just caused James to to stop watching wrestling for a long time. But in 2018, um right at the beginning of the year, he was laid up with a back injury and just needed to basically like rest for like several weeks. And Western Pennsylvania in January is a miserable place. <laughs> and there's <laughs> Like, not much to do, especially if you need to stay, like, indoors, in bed, or, like, on the couch. And he started reading about this, like, renaissance of pro wrestling that was happening. And discovering that there were all these matches that were, like, getting all this attention and huge star ratings from Meltzer. And he watched all the, he watched the three uh, Okada Omega matches. He, like, sort of, like, going back and watching some of the stuff from All Japan that he hadn't, you know, watched in years and years and realizing that all of this stuff that he loved back when he was a teenager was super accessible to him now in a new world of like, you know, information access. And by doing this, he started like giving me things to watch or like having me sit down and watch things with him. And at first I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I'll watch it. Oh, that's neat. That's cool. Oh man, Manami Toyota. Whoa, she's <laughs> so cool. But like not getting hooked yet. You know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. like that moment. And then um, what did it, and I like credit him to this day for creating the like wrestling monster that I am. Um, He gave me the golden lover story. Mm -hmm. Um, He sent me like, like a video package about it. he sent me the huge um, Simpsons reference, um, uh, her Twitter feed and her blog post about it, which is just like the thing I use to get other people into that story and learning about the like whole ten year storyline between Kenny Omega and Kotobushi and like just realizing how rich storytelling could be in a wrestling field, and like also at the same time, oh my god, it's not heteronormative. Like <laughs> that's crazy to me. Like this is a this is a romance. Maybe it's a platonic romance. Maybe it's a, a more less not a platonic romance who knows who cares it but it's framed romantically the whole thing has romantic subtext it's not just like oh we're, we're best buds or oh we're brothers it's not like a shield thing or like anything like that it's it's genuine like romantic love that is expressed in this 10 year story and that's like so freaking beautiful and it's being told with two dudes like and it's told in a world of wrestling which is so great because nothing you would have associated with pro wrestling would have would you would have considered in like a lot in like 20 years ago you would have considered you know breaking that mold but um this story captivated so many people especially new fans because it showed us that oh hey modern wrestling has a place for us and i got caught up in that story and then just lost my mind over (laughs) over pro wrestling and it's so funny because i talked to other fans who were like oh yeah that was my gateway But now i'm into this and this and i still check into that but i you know i'm more focused on these promotions or these wrestlers and i'm the same way like women's wrestling has a lot of my attention these days and um a lot of like and i i pay attention to a lot of like stuff in american indies more than i pay attention to like the bigger promotions although i watch those too um but like as a result like new japan pro wrestling is probably always going to be my favorite promotion and I make time for it, especially when like we're building up into like big things for like the annual Wrestle Kingdom show. But there's no women's wrestling in New Japan Pro Wrestling, so I tend to put New Japan aside for a little while whenever I'm like in a real big like women's wrestling binge. Yeah, so that's like my really long-winded take on it. But that's how <laughs> I that's how I kind of came into it.
0: Okay, I mean, it's interesting because like. The Golden Lover storyline is something that I've found to be a gateway for many people that I've that I've um, spoken with, and, you yeah. know, not just for the show, but just like in general, just like a lot of fans that have either like were fans and dropped off, or had never really looked at pro wrestling as something that they could get into because you know of the way that the community's been treated in within storylines within the narratives of the industry. Um, so. I really think that like seeing seeing that storyline happen, um not just that it happened, but that it happened in a company in Japan yeah. where like the cultural norms are like the cultural acceptance of that sort of thing is still like not as far along as it might be here, um, is is a real testament to to um the power of what pro wrestling can be. And you know, couple that along with the the rise of um, a, a number of notable queer talents um, among the American indie scene, and you have uh, a community that's ripe for new fans to just dig into. You know,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think that there, you know, there for a long time, there's been wrestlers who have been been working, who have lived like you know, maybe partially in the closet or like in for their careers, like professionally speaking, they weren't necessarily out, but in their private lives, they were. Um, I think it's a lot it's it's I wouldn't say it's easier necessarily, but I do think that wrestling is starting to open up a lot more to out and proud and like, you know, like, you know, outward queer performers. So performers who um, identify in any realm of the LGBTQ plus spectrum. And that's so freeing because no longer is it like, okay, well, we understand that that's your private life, but like, you know, obviously that's not your character as a wrestler. But there's so many wrestlers now who like, like, like being queer, being gay is part of their character. And that's totally fine. And they can wear it in a lot of different ways. I mean, I love watching wrestlers like Effie like chew things like like chew up the scene and get to do things very out and proud and and their way because that's just like that's something that we wouldn't have seen 10 years ago that's probably not something we would have seen five years ago this is like a wave that just keeps getting more and more powerful every year
0: no i completely agree especially after seeing effie live for the first time like just seeing (laughs) a crowd respond to him like seeing kids come up to him during intermission and like getting fist bumps and pictures and stuff like that. Just like, it's so awesome to see like entire swaths of, of uh, just the general wrestling audience latch on to people like him, like MV Young, like even Sunny Kiss in AEW. Like uh-huh. so many people have gravitated to what these performers can provide in the ring. And also like the, the, the message that they deliver with, not just their in-ring work, but their, how they carry themselves outside of the ring as well. You know, it's it's done a lot, I think, to open the minds of the general wrestling audience.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that as the audience is starting to expect or to to you know welcome and embrace these these diverse talents, um, there's fans like myself who want promotions, especially like independent promotions, um, to to support these performers and to support queer fans and to, um, uphold, you know, certain like expectations of the behavior in, in the audience so that these are welcoming and safe spaces for people. And like, I understand that there is, you know, there, there's a lot of differing opinions of what creates like a safe space for fans and an inclusionary space. But I do think that expecting people not to be like, you know, racist, bigoted, like, like homophobic assholes is like, a completely reasonable thing to expect, and I've seen more and more. Uh, I've seen more and more indies like specifically have it in their mission to create these inclusionary spaces and to to address these concerns head on. And I think more and more need to do that because you know if you're a fan like myself and you go to a show and you've got people in front of you saying all these slurs at the wrestlers, whether or not they're like you know acting as they think they should towards heel towards a heel wrestler or whatever, it takes you out of the moment and takes you out of the experience because suddenly you're just reminded of the fact that like for the people that are sitting in front of you and maybe many others that are sitting around you, the person that you are is offensive to them in a way that they would like, if they had open credence to, they would yell and sneer at you. And so, um, I was at a show in August at a local indie that has a really great, What uh, wasn't really, it was hosted by their venue, but it wasn't really the people of the the the, indip- the promotion itself wasn't running the show it was like a benefit show
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, there was just like this awful set of fans just a family I had seen it, uh, that uh, other shows at this venue and they always behaved the same way and not just homophobic stuff but like racist stuff and like mm-hmm. really misogynist stuff saying really awful stuff about like a heel female wrestler that like God. is whole repeat and it's like it's not just like the woman saying it or like her like her fellow people of her fellow age in her group. But like, she's got like two like younger sons with her and like, they're saying it too. And she's encouraging them to like call this woman these horrible names. And it's just like, yeah, (laughs) it's like, okay. So what, like, what's the expectation of an audience? Like, yes, you're supposed to boo the heels. Yes, you're supposed to like, that is part of the audience engagement, but there's a line that you don't want to cross, especially when, when what you're saying could like, is genuinely, like not part of the performance. It's not part of the wrestling. It's just your excuse to say something hateful. And I think a lot more promoters are starting to understand that there's, there's only so much fans will take like fans like myself and a lot of like new fans.
0: No, I completely agree. Especially just like seeing companies like, you know, PWG where I know there was an incident at one event where Jake Atlas was there where a fan uh, yelled a slur at him, and the entire crowd just turned on the one fan, you know, like they basically police themselves in that way and then even more recently, like you saw the the Sami Zayn incident that went viral over the past over the weekend where you know they were at a house yeah. show, and there was one fan just screaming right in his face, just yelling homophobic slurs at him, and the fan got booted out, Sami Zane got in his face, which i don't i don't uh, I don't blame the fan for backing down because if Sami Zayn got in my face like. <laughs> jesus done um but like okay. you know you're starting to see companies both small and large start to respond to these things in that way and it makes me happy um and i wish this the same could be said about some other companies outside of the country i know a lot of coverage that i've that i've done for lucha libre you see the uh, the puto chant yeah. still very very prevalent there and you know like i i just hope that some of this this messaging can really trickle down to other companies like that, that that can understand just what those sorts of fan interactions or fan chants can really do, not just to the people in the ring, but the people that are there just to enjoy a show.
1: Yeah. I think it's a tricky thing too, right? Because like so much of what we find as an audience um, to be um, uncomfortable or to be assaultive in various ways is culturally defined in, in some regards. So it's like, especially when it comes to like fields of entertainment and lucha libre being such an established form with so many like traditions in, in both its like style of wrestling and presentation, but also its fan base interactions. It's like how do you how do you start to change and evolve a, a cultural standard that like for so many of its like native audience goers continues to be the rule. But I think that you do it through like patience and and an exchange, like cultural exchange, and especially with talent, like working from like like uh, talent from Mexico working here and and talent from America and from other countries working there. I think that you do it. I think you have to kind of do it piecemeal through through wrestler interactions and through like thoughtful engagement with that because just telling them like that's bad like that's wrong like that's offensive to so many to so many people you can't do that that's gonna fall on deaf ears when it's when you're criticizing a cultural standard that is not necessarily like your own like it doesn't necessarily belong to you a like white or even non-white but American um so yeah it's one of those things where it's like I want that to change. I want that to get better. I want that to get like a more, become much more inclusive and safe for people. But I also know that that's going to take that that's going to continue to take time.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely will. And, you know, just look at how long it took us. Yeah. Right. Like it's going to, it's going to take time.
1: (laughs) And like, we're, we're making a lot of progress. So it's like, it it can be easy to assume that like the progress is just like, Oh yeah, we're on this great, like, you know, we're, we're, just on this this great train of progress, as we keep going and going and going, and like you never know. And also, like we could talk about um, steps in the right direction for elevating um, queer talent on both like a like a national and global and independent stage. We could also talk about how WWE has dedicated the last several months of storytelling in in one of their major shows to like a like cuckolding story. So it's yeah. like <laughs> you know three steps forward, two steps back. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I mean I think WWE is the king of three step forward, two steps back. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. every time they do something awesome, like they just find some way to shove their foot square down their throat. So yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God oh, sorry, I just yeah. that that little that exchange just made me remember the the Sami Zayn Bobby Lashley feud from a year or so ago whenever Sami Zayn had bobby lashley's sisters come out you can't see the air quotes i'm making just like just stuff like that just god Ugh.
1: they are lucky that they have the kind of charismatic performers that they do that can carry off so much of the like kind of like the sleaziest or awful ideas that they have because i think of like i remember when i the Spring that I got really really into wrestling. That was like the height of there was a big feud between Samoa Joe and AJ Styles going on. This was yeah. I think after AJ Styles and Nakamura had their like their their groin pounding fest um
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> i know that the, there was a like a fun series of feuds between samoa joe and aj styles and a lot of that was around like samoa joe kind of insulting aj styles as a father and as a husband and etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like a lot of that stuff is dated and terrible in it in its idea but the execution just about works because Samo samoa joe is just so gosh darn charismatic and so good at at being both menacing and like weirdly charming and also like AJ Styles is a phenomenally talented wrestler but also like kind of a dirtbag so like yeah having him having him dressed down in this way is a like I don't know it was kind of cathartic for those of us who were just like yes daddy joe tear him apart
0: <laughs> no and, and honestly that point's even made even like underlined even stronger by what they're doing right now with bray wyatt and the Miz, where like they're bringing back that whole like terrorizing the family thing (laughs) and it's just not landing in any way shape or form because you just don't have a guy like samoa joe to carry that you know
1: yeah yeah exactly like you have to if you're gonna have a storyline like that like you've got to be able to trust your talent to like bring something to it that is going to surpass the very limits of that of that content and That's, that's a rare feat. So someone like Samoa Joe, it's someone like Chris Jericho, it's someone like, you know, it's even, you know, even someone like, like poor Lana and Rusa being trapped in this, in this awful story, like, I give them a ton of credit for making it work as much as they possibly can. It's just... It's terrible. It's awful. <laughs> like it's, it's like it's gross, and like nobody nobody really wants this. Even people who are like benignly supportive of it aren't like clamoring for it. They're just so used to WWE being WWE, and that's you know what you get.
0: Yeah, I will say I will at least give WWE credit on this. They are understanding of the meta of the people that work at their company so much that they put Jerry Lawler in the ring as like the leader of the divorce settlement segment (laughs) on Raw. So at least they know exactly who to put in there that has the most experience with certain things.
1: Yeah, you know, I guess that is a strength.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you get somebody on the roster, God. Yeah yeah anywho so moving on from the the troubling pro wrestling um <laughs> how did <laughs> how did you end up linking up with uh with harley and um joining up with pro wrestling torch
1: um i got just massively lucky like i said i i was still a really new fan at that point i had gotten into wrestling in like january or february of 2018 and then in april i went to roh um post like their big uh their big show during wrestlemania weekend um supercard post supercard they typically do a tv taping in pittsburgh where i live so me and my husband got tickets and um i was really excited because it was like my first like real like big wrestling show that i've ever been to and um so i went and i posted about it and stuff and at the same time harley and i had become friends on twitter just like following each other Um, I listened to Talking Honor a little bit and he reached out to me maybe a week or two after I went to the show and said, hey, I noticed you were at the TV tapings in Pittsburgh. Do you want to come on and be do a guest um, co-host spot for what for the first like television airing when the Pittsburgh TV starts airing? He had actually he had a co-host that had left that started the show with him Talking Honor. And uh, Lola, who um, is great and uh, actually lives locally, like lives in the Pittsburgh region, so just by random happenstance, he recruited another Pittsburgh-based female wrestling fan to uh, to come onto the podcast. And a guest turn became a like four-episode run throughout the whole like TV run of the Pittsburgh Capings. And then he was just like, "Hey, we have a good rapport. I don't really want to keep shifting through like guest co-hosts and if you're interested you should stick on and I was like you know I have like limited to no like real broadcasting experience I have writing experience but like very little broadcasting experience but he was willing to to give it a go and years later I mean kind of years like year and a half later like two shows basically later we're still working together
0: yeah, and, and I, I will say, like, listening to the show, like that that rapport definitely does come across, and like, um, and it makes the show like a show that's already super informative. Um, so much so that there's stuff that I hadn't even really understood, uh, un, um, uncovered whenever I was listening to it, and just like I did not know that has um, Hazaki re- uh, announced their retirement until I listened to your show. So like. There's stuff in there, but the way that y'all discuss it and everything is very entertaining, very easy to very easy to listen. I would oh,
1: say Thanks. Yeah. I think we we try and and keep it light. And you know, we both are familiar enough with pro wrestling that like um Harley's a stats guy, so he's always really good about like being able to pull up those stats of like who win, win loss records or like how many times someone has appeared in a in a year for a promotion, et cetera. He keeps track of those numbers. And I really like I can talk about work rate and I can talk about moves and things like that. But like we tend to just want to really talk about things in a more accessible way because I think that's kind of more fun. It's more fun to talk about wrestling in that way. And it invites more people into the conversation. And um, being able to shift from doing exclusively Ring of Honor to in September when we started our new show, Grit and Glitter, we, we, we really did that because we were just neither of us are negative people, or at least we don't like to be negative. And we were feeling less and less strictly positive about ROH and feeling like every episode of our podcast, we were just kind of going on the same road over and over again of talking about things that we were disappointed by. And it just, it got to be a drag. Like, I respect so much of the talent and the staff and the people who are working behind the scene, scenes at ring of honor. We got to meet a couple of them and got to know a couple of them through doing the show. And I have an enormous amount of respect for so many of those people who are still like making their livelihood at this promotion. But I, we just couldn't continue doing weekend week out coverage. So we were like, well, uh, what do we want to talk about instead? And Harley proposed, uh, we do a women's wrestling podcast and proposed it to Wade Keller at The Torch who said, that's great. We don't have that in our in our lineup. We like you guys. So keep keep working together. And yeah, so we just, we got really fortunate in that Wade is like a very, very supportive, um, I guess technically boss, but like he's just, he's very supportive of the entity that he's created. He lets his creators just kind of do what they want to do.
0: That's really good to hear, especially considering just the wide reach of uh, topics and people that are underneath the pro wrestling torch umbrella now, as this as it has expanded over the past like twenty some odd years. So that's really wonderful yeah. to hear.
1: Yeah, I mean Harley's whole thing. The reason he brought me on is because his big thing is like he he in addition to wrestling is really into the music scene. He has actually he runs his own like small like music label, and his big thing is like inclusiveness and specifically wanting gender diversity amongst uh pw torch contributors so when he was looking for a new permanent co-host for talking honor he really didn't want to just have like another dude not that like dudes are not great like lots of dudes are great but uh <laughs> like yourself um but Aww. he really he really wanted to like in, like have a, another woman take uh his former co-host spot um so that there would still be a female voice amongst the PW Torch contributors because I think I'm the only woman who regularly contributes to the Torch. Wow. I Yeah, I think that there might be other like occasional contributors. I, know, I definitely know there was someone who was writing up like Total Divas for a while. There might be like occasional other contributors, definitely people, women who do guest spots. But yeah, um, I think I'm the only like regular contributor to the PW Torch who is like a, he's a you know woman. So like when we, when we bring guests on to grit and glitter, we often aim for people with marginalized voices uh, in the wrestling fandom. So we tend to ask more women or non-binary res, um, non-binary performers or wrestling related folks, et cetera. So uh, that's kind of just like keeping true to Harley's mission.
0: Well, since you did at one time host uh, a Ring of Honor podcast, um, and I am curious about what exactly what led to the the change, even though you said was it wasn't just a general like malaise with with the the year that Ring of Honor has been having, which it has definitely been having a down year, um, which is year, unf- yeah, god, which is unfortunate to me because like Ring of Honor was one of those companies that I adored for a long time. Um, It's the company that I introduced my partner to pro wrestling with. Um, Now, Granted, the first match I showed them was like Shinsuke Nakamura versus Sami Zayn. But the first show that I took them to was when Ring of Honor ran uh, down here in Atlanta. And I think think that they were immediately won over um, by pro wrestling the minute that they saw Jushin Thunder Liger face Dalton Castle.
1: Oh my god, that oh, that match. Yeah, that were, match. You guys were live for that match.
0: Yeah, we were live for that match. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is such a good match, too, because Liger. Oh, Liger's so I mean, obviously, Liger is so good. Like, Liger is Liger, but oh. Liger is so good in that match, and his interactions with uh, especially with castles both the time. It's just it's so good.
0: I know. I god, it was so. It was so awesome. Like, I'm so glad that that turned out to be like the first experience for them. Um, One, because me, I was already a Dalton Castle fanboy. Like, Dalton Castle was my man then. I was annoying all of my fans, uh, or not all my fans, but my friends. I was annoying all of my friends (laughs) with Dalton Castle at that point because I was just won over by the boys immediately. And just to see this, like, gender non-conforming character that was still spouting about how manly he was and like testing other people's manhood against his own like it was just such an awesome thing to watch and see especially as someone who has always been sort of gender non-conforming in his own masculinity Um, and then being able to show that to them and have them latch onto it as quickly as I did, which is like so rewarding and and just, it it made me feel really, really good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, like I I talked about how like the Golden Lovers were like my gateway, but like one of the first promotions I started watching on the regular was Ring of Honor because I could watch it in syndication and my, my husband was like, into, had been into Ring of Honor back in the day, so we checked out what was happening now and discovered that they were really, like, having a really, like, upswing couple of years with the Elite and just, like, a lot of, like, talent coming through there, um, but uh, when I started watching was winter of 2018 when Castle was their champion, mm-hmm. so, like, I'm watching this promotion, this promotion that is known for its, like, hard, like, straightforward sports style, of course, you know, it's more complicated than that, but, like,
0: yeah
1: <laughs> um, so, uh, rig of honor has a reputation ha- has a long-standing reputation of being kind of more of like a very typical like male wrestling fan based like um wrestling company so to come in and be like this is their champion this like brilliant sassy charismatic like kind of like uh, just like a uh, flamboyant guy like with you know like two like you know Masked manservants and, like one of his moves is just like arching his back into a peacock stance. Like this is the best thing I've ever seen. I'm so excited. Wrestling is so cool. <laughs> I love Dalton Castle immediately, and then and he wins you over in every possible way because he's also a phenomenal wrestler. Like he, yes, like he can cut a promo that will leave you in tears laughing. He that he will can can deliver like ringside just just perfectly, but like this is a wrestler who who is fundamentally so good at wrestling. His brawling style is like a style that I'm always very keen on watching, and I always liked watching him in the ring. And and I I just I'm always so sad that his like his reign with the belt was so cut short by his own injuries, and you know that was super unfortunate, but. I think he did get, and I think that that's like his kind of title reign is kind of looked down upon because of that. Was is marred because of that? But I do think, like, I, I do think he got some really great matches during that run. And I love the final battle match that he had against Cody to get the belt. And like, he's just he's great. He's so good. <laughs> and coming into Ring of Honor at that point where he was their champion, I was like, okay, anyone, any company that makes this guy their champion, I'm, I'm gonna give a, I, I'm gonna try because like come on, this is great.
0: <laughs> no, I completely agree. Like they were on such an upswing during that time, like coming out of like Jay Lethal winning the belt from Jay Briscoe and then leading into the stuff with, with Cody coming in fresh off of like spurning WWE and the, the elite, like you said, and mm-hmm. all these, they had such an, a great roster going for them. And then, you know, 2019 has just not been their year, whether it be, you know, the, the exit of the elite to, to form AEW. Or, you know, Dalton Castle's body breaking down, you know, new signees, maybe not necessarily getting the uh, the the fanfare and the popularity that they wanted. You know, I, I always point to the Youngblood faction as a as a thing that could have been so much more than it's turned out to be, which is unfortunate because all of the guys that are associated with that are awesome. Like Bandito, Juice Robinson, oh, Mark oh, Askin. You,
1: you mean Lifeblood
0: yeah lifeblood sorry what? i said young blood right
1: yeah young god. Blood, new blood oh my god <laughs> we called them so many different names when they were first introduced like i we could not remember what it was we knew there was like oh gosh my uh my dear friend and my my wrestle wife bridget like probably called them like any any number of combinations of young and life and and, and blood and and bro and oh my god so many different things but yeah Lifeblood was such a weird mishap because it was a faction based on a wrestler who does not belong to ROH. And I think that inherently was the problem here because um, Juice Robinson is marvelous. Talk about a wonderfully flamboyant, like bigger than life character who happens also to be a really phenomenal wrestler but he is very much a new Japan guy. He's very much a new Japan pro wrestling guy. So he was never going to belong to ROH and giving him a faction wasn't going to change that. And uh, yeah. And there's a reason we haven't seen juice in ROH since Madison square garden, maybe.
0: Something maybe. Like that. maybe like, after it, that? Not much longer after that. I know that he's, he's been absent for a while. Yeah. Um and like you, and they've they've the company has brought in a lot of like really awesome in ring guys to kind of mm-hmm. supplant the loss of talent that they had. You know, I I point to Jeff Cobb as well as a guy mm-hmm. that I do, always enjoy watching. You know, yes. um, the rise of Shane Taylor. Like that dude has been on fire for most of the year. Like every yeah. one of his matches has been awesome. Flip oh, Gordon. Shit
1: yeah yeah i mean shane shane taylor has been one of my favorite guys to watch in the past year because he went from being like a really solid like hand slash like you know kind of flashier jobber to the stars to being like a, a a wrestler that i genuinely looked forward to seeing in the ring like because of whatever potentially he would have he had a series i think he had like one or two matches with bandito that were fantastic yes Combining his his style with Bandito's high flying like lucha style was just like they had great in ring chemistry and it was really fun to see what they could do. Um, he has great power, so like that was it was a like it's just a really fun matchup. So yeah, I uh, I I really was excited to see what Shane Taylor did in twenty nineteen and the individuals, the talent themselves, are delivering they're getting undercut by a lot of things. Um, Booking is a consistent problem and it, it seems to be like the Achilles heel for ROH. And that's like the number one issue with women of honor, which has been the, even more of a disaster than lifeblood.
0: Oh yeah, no, I, I, I'm right on board with that sentiment. Like, it's watching. It almost feels like Ring of Honor started a women's division in 2018 because, like, women's wrestling was on the rise everywhere else, and they felt like they needed to get in on it, or they were being pressured into it, and they just never really felt like the desire to make it a real positive thing because, and it's not for a lack of talent. I mean, you know, at the time you had people like Sumi Sakai and Tino Dashwood, you had, you know, Kelly Klein there, Mayu Watani, like you had the people that you needed to make that division work, Yeah, but just nothing ever really clicked in that way.
1: A series of things happened to them. Um, Early on, that kind of hampered the progress of Women of Honor. That I think I will I will give them a little bit of credit. Like is a is a hard thing to come back from. Um, they had a ace in their they had they, they had an ace in Diana Prato. They had a great like very lived in rivalry between Diana Prato and um, Karen Q that they had established through matches and stuff that were featured on like Women of Honor Wednesdays before like Women of Honor had a regular spot on TV. Then after April of 2018, they started to lose a lot of that talent or like lose like, like they knew they were going to be losing. So like Deanna Perazzo signed with NXT. She was gone within like a month or two. Karen Q had long been on the hook for NXT and was just kind of like finishing up obligations until she got eventually called into the Performance Center, which eventually happened. So like she could never really, she couldn't, she was still... In ROH, technically, like she could still do dates, but she couldn't become a champion at any point because they just they didn't know how long they were to have her. So she would put anyone over, but they weren't going to be able to keep her around. They got Madison Rain back, but then Madison Rain left. Um, they got time with Britt Baker, but didn't really capitalize on that. And of course, we know where Britt Baker is now. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennille Dashwood is a really good example of someone who was sidelined with an injury for the vast majority of her time in women of honor and i i'm very curious as to how much of that was contract issues and things that we don't know about and how much of that was like just truthful like illness and injury but yeah so we know that she's now at impact as well um yeah it's just um booking issues have been the plague for women of honor they have had people behind the scenes um, doing booking for Women of Honor that had a lot of really great ideas and really um, the vested interest of building this div- division using both in-house, like, on-the-roster talent and guesting talent from their partnership with Stardom, which, if you're going to partner with a women's promotion, like, no, I mean, you can't get better. That's
0: yeah. the, like,
1: <laughs> that's the Cadillac of women's promotions right there. We're talking Joshi. We're talking high-level Joshi. We are talking a really, like, really big deal talent that you're bringing in. So you have access to to women like Mayu Iwatani and Kagetsu and the members of Tie, and, like, they're going to come and do shows for you. But, um, and you can even maybe have uh, someone like Mayu, like, come for uh, several shows and be your champion for a while. But um, they were just not, I don't, I think that there were other people behind the scenes who don't have a vested interest in a women's division to the point where they're willing to commit a sizable amount of time, energy, and money into making that division what it could have been. And um, the biggest shame of all of this is that Kelly Klein um, has been a big casualty of this negligence, and it stinks.
0: Yeah, it really does. I mean, for those that aren't familiar, Kelly Klein, the current reigning uh, Women of Honor champion, um, was unceremoniously let go after um, Joey Mercury, former producer for Ring of Honor, basically... Um, I guess expose some of the the lack of medical um, care given to Kelly Klein. I know she suffered multiple concussions um, in matches um, that were not really handled with correct protocol um, as dictated by modern wrestling standards, especially for a company that is backed by a billion dollar company like Sinclair. <laughs> um and then of course that turned into a whole big spat online and then kelly Klein ended up getting um basically being told they were not going to renew her contract even though she only asked for what was it a four thousand dollar raise she was making twenty thousand she wanted twenty four thousand yeah. like that's just ridiculous and then so so they basically just fired her and with the belt and they haven't really addressed the uh the title situation since so yeah.
1: Her contract. The the heartbreak for this for me is that they were finally going to pay her what she is at least like is somewhat worth in the fact that they were going to. I think they were going to more than double her contract so that she was going to make something around fifty thousand dollars for the next year, Mm -hmm. uh, or for the next like whatever the contract would would whatever span of time it would incorporate. um, Which you know is still not a ton of money considering what some you know stars make and what I'm sure that ROH is throwing at their top guys but um to, like it is sizably more than what they were paying her which 20,000 come on guys like i'm a public librarian and that's low to me so that tells you something
0: yeah i made more money when i was bartending right i
1: yeah. made more money as like a bookseller like at a store <laughs> like a retail store like that's that's just that's really that's gross but yeah um, especially when you've got someone who is like your champion and a good champion at that, like a really responsible member of the roster who does your, like your, your big public um, appearances and does all of your like charity work and serves as a spokesperson for your brand and says good things and like commits to you and stays true to you. Like, this is how you do your like, like, I don't know, to me, I, it's uh, like, I get, I get kind of probably more emotional about it that I should considering that it's like business stuff, but like just to see them do her so wrongly after how loyal she has been to them is so absolutely maddening um, because they've had women who have gotten better offers left and right and have left. They've had women who, who didn't even have like, you know, consistent better offers, but just didn't, you know, could get paid better sporadic basis elsewhere. Um, they They didn't, they, they did not appreciate the fact that they had a champion who was so committed to being like women of honors, like face. And that's really sad. That really is sad. Like, Mm -hmm. that means that like, if she's getting that treatment, then who knows what the other women who are still in, in ROH, like, like what kind of treatment they're getting or what kind of, you know, like payment or lack thereof they're, they're receiving. So
0: no, yeah, I mean it definitely brings that question to mind, you know, especially considering that the re- only other real like high-profile acts in their women's division right now are the Allure. Um, yeah. <laughs> which that's a whole other thing. I actually, you know what? I will ask you this of you, um, since I have you here. I'm assuming that y'all were still doing the the Ring of Honor show um, prior to September. I was at the uh, the Portland event that they ran whenever um they had the whole bully ray situation go down where the fan was pulled to the back and and i I watched that all play out in real time i'm curious to get your take on on what happened with that entire situation um
1: Um, i said it this on the show at the time when we addressed it because it was such big news that like we had to talk about it mm -hmm. um i there's no way for us to know exactly the exchange that happened right like the allure heals they were getting they were getting heat the heat that i saw in may at the um chicago war of the worlds tour was not the type of heat where like people were getting in their faces it was literally like quiet heat which is like like you're you're boring us yeah not not like that we hate you vitriolically. like no you're boring us you're boring like there were like this is boring chance and that's like that's not good heat um so by portland maybe they were getting more like like, ardent response, which is, I guess, good, but it sounds like it definitely got taken too far, um, and the performers got too into it and too invasive and too personal, um, but whatever happened, that's, that's unfortunate, but my stance on it when it, when all this came out was there is absolutely no reason that someone who is a, like, in front of the camera, in-ring talent, someone who is publicly associated with your brand and who is a part of, like your roster should ever be personally handling security measures. You have security staff or are you're supposed to uh have security staff for that exact reason. If you have an issue with a fan and you escort them and you need them to leave, that's one thing. There is like no reason that you take a fan backstage to give them a dressing down unless you want them to feel intimidated and you want them to feel scared and you want them to feel bad about messing with your girlfriend or wife or et cetera. So yeah, that did not, that was not professional. What happened? If you deal with, a, there's lots of fans who get kicked out of wrestling events. It's wrestling. Drunk guys happen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there was a drunk guy sitting next to me at that show. that got kicked out. Yeah, right? so like, yeah, so like,
1: and they had no problem kicking that guy out, right? Like, they, the no. security person just probably said, "All right, buddy, time to go," and they kicked him out. There was no taking him into a room and having him sit there and wait to be addressed. That's yeah. not that's not how things are done. And you, as a public face of your company, do not do that. So, like, Bully Ray's intervention there was incredibly unprofessional. And just goes to show you how like haywire things were are right now, because he could do that and be like perfectly fine. Like nothing happened to him. They got some bad press out of it, but like he's where he is. Greg Jilliland, after all of this stuff, like nothing's happened to him. Like he's still got his job. Joe Koff still has a job. Everybody still has their jobs. There's like they're they're bulletproof, even when the press is as bad as it has been
0: which is crazy to me because I would not think that Ring of Honor would be the, the, the kind of company or the level of company that would have that kind of bulletproof status, you know?
1: Well, the company definitely isn't overall because we've yeah. seen the hit that they've taken with, um, with ticket sales. We've seen um, apparently viewership of their syndicated TV has, has risen modestly in the last several months, um, especially since they've kind of shifted to more of a clip show package type that incorporates Stuff that you can watch via Honor Club live as it happens, but I don't know what their Honor Club subscriber base is like right now. Those numbers haven't been made public, and I, I'm I'm wondering at the end of this year how many people, like how much, how much the drop off, like what percentage of drop off their subscription base is going to be because just based on ticket sales alone for their live events, it's they've had a huge drop since the beginning of 2019. Who knew we would be here? They they ran Madison Square Garden in April. I, I know. that
0: show. <laughs> God, it's it's just crazy to see like how far that drop can go. I I always point back to the best in the world buy rate and just how abysmal the pay per view buy rate was for that show. And it doesn't really give me much hope for what's for the buy rate for Final Battle. Yeah, which is I a mean, shame. because fun. There's a, a lot of good matches that are gonna be on Final Battle.
1: Yeah, Final Battle is a pretty they're pretty set card considering that considering you know like the past several months but final battle is also not being held in new york for the first time in forever it's being held in baltimore um so it's that's already going to be in i think what is technically a bigger space that they couldn't fill the last time they were there they couldn't even slightly fill it i mean they were already having issues back in as early as may Um, filling up attendance for various places that they were hitting on the war of the worlds tour you should have seen the i think it was the odm or i forget exactly what it was called but the arena that they were in in chicago that we were at for the last show for the war of the worlds tour that it was it was like it was almost it was more than half empty Mm. i don't like the the actual like the, there was barely anyone in like the stands area. There was mainly just people on the floor seating and even that wasn't full. So, and that was May. That was only, that was less than a month removed from MSG. So yeah, it, the drop happened and it happened fast.
0: Mm-hmm. God, it's just, it's just wild. This is wild to watch. <laughs> yeah, We'll see what happens in the next year. I mean, we there's a lot of contracts coming up and, you know, a lot of moving pieces that are, Going to be set here pretty soon so yeah
1: i i fully expect them to throw obscene amounts of money at the talent they want to keep um i do think it's going to come at the expense of a lot of people who are very talented and worthwhile who they don't prize as much and unfortunately it's also that's going to include a lot of like the the women who have been um involved in women of honor in one way or another i mean look at maria manic maria manic technically debuted in roh how many months ago and is having her actual in-ring wrestling debut at final battle
0: it's crazy not (laughs) to mention the situation with her contract that they let happen Then he
1: just forgot to re-sign her
0: yes like what (laughs) what else what else can this company do
1: (laughs) i don't know i i hope like and i i want to end talking about it on on a positive note of like Again, there's a lot of people working for that company, both in ring and, and behind the scenes that are very passionate about wrestling. They're very committed to what they do. They're very good at what they do. And I, I hope that this company can write itself because I want all of these people to continue being able to live their dream and work in wrestling full time. Like I know for, for some people who work in ROH, this is a dream come true. Uh, so whatever's going on, I really want, I just, I want all the bad, all the bad dirt to get cleaned out, so that the, that these like beautiful like blossoms can continue flourishing. So they're just like they deserve it. They deserve to have the promotion that actually is succeeding, and right now it's not. It's floundering, and it, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. Not given everything that it has, all the like potential assets that it has.
0: No, I completely agree with you. Like, I definitely don't want to see Ring of Honor go away, but they—they've got a lot of work to do to make that happen. Um, yeah. But we'll—we'll we'll see what we'll see what they can pull off in twenty twenty. You know, uh, but um. Like I said, moving on to some some more positive stuff though, um, before we before we get out of here, there were two things that I wanted to talk to you about, and including one of them that really made me want to have you on the show because I, I know you've listened to some episodes of the show and there is a history of people being just straight up horny on main on the <laughs> show for people. And the one <laughs> your love of Rhea Ripley. Was one of them, like, as soon as I saw this go down, like, I know that you were trying to keep it professional on your show, but Twitter and this show are whole different avenues. So, like, like, Rhea Ripley's Rise on NXT and leading into her title match with Shayna Baszler on December 18th, like, it's been awesome to watch, um, especially considering where she started at, like, and how her character has developed over time. Um, But you're unabashed love for for her aesthetic and her herself um was really intriguing to me I wonder where what are your op- opinions of Rhea Ripley and how do you see this uh, title match with uh, Shayna Baszler going down
1: uh, so so full disclosure for those listening that, that don't know my like particular fandoms I um I follow a lot of promotions on a regular basis but WWE is kind of like the like the obvious big black spot that I don't follow. So I don't watch raw. I don't watch SmackDown and I check in with NXT on occasion, but because of grit and glitter, I have been paying attention more to the women's divisions of WWE. And uh, you can't deny that like, the honestly, there are a lot of great guys in WWE as a whole, including NXT, but like the women's divisions of any of these uh, brands are like, so top notch, so stellar. Um, So, getting to check in with NXT on an occasional basis and seeing seeing a lot of women that I love. Like, I mean, I love I love Rhea, and I'll talk about her in a second. But like, I just got to say, like, like think of that Women's War Games match, a takeover. Like, every woman in there, I love. Like, I love Io Shirai. I love I love Candice Laurie. I have loved I I've loved Candace LeRae from her work on the Indies. I loved her all. She's an amazing intergender wrestler. So like, I I. I love intergender wrestling, and so I I especially like just adore Candace because she's such a she's real hardcore. Um, Shayna Baszler is is obviously like like phenomenally talented, and I love a, a good a, a good brutal catch style wrestler. But what they've been able to do with Rhea um, since bringing her into NXT, to NXT from NXT UK is just been phenomenal. Um, she has that wonderful quality of um instant charisma um she is both incredibly intimidating while also accessible in that that odd way that some people just manage and she manages it so well where you're like oh we could be friends but like I'd also kind of be scared of her but that's okay because like she'd also make, probably have my back if we were in a fight with someone um, and yeah like she's just and she's a, I mean, an incredibly talented um a kind of really talented wrestler who has timing instincts that are just like off the charts good, and just has an instant like presence in ring and out of ring. um And yeah, like I'll say it like I I try to keep things polite and uh, professional on on our podcast, partially because it's PW Torch, and like I don't want to get too 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 thirsty on main, um, mm-hmm. but also like my co-host Harley is a very polite, very sweet Canadian gentleman, um, so. I sometimes if I get into my more like crass American like thirstiness I feel like I'm I feel like I can feel his blush all the way from Toronto um so (laughs) so I try not try not to get too too crazy about it but like yeah like Rhea Ripley is it's like hot as fuck like she's so she's so (laughs) like and and what's great about her sexual like her her sexuality and like her like and I say sexuality in the in the way of like what's great about her like her appeal as like a s- potential sexual being is that like I honestly feel like she could be attractive to anybody of any sexual preferences, right? So like mm-hmm. I feel like no matter what your general tastes are, you could see this woman perform and be like, okay, yeah, I get it, I totally get it. Like I might not be generally into that like gender or 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 person, but I. I I get I get the appeal there. I think that she surpasses a lot of like a lot of barriers in that way.
0: I I completely agree with you on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like right, like um, I think someone I forget who made the joke on Twitter about like I don't know who women wrestling fans are more thirsty for, Timothy Thatcher or Rhea Ripley, and I was like, that's a really hard call because uh, Tim Thatcher well-known um, bird wrestler uh, on the independent scene and in various uh, British promotions is also has a very similar Rhea Ripley-esque quality in that like I think he surpasses a lot of like sexuality barriers and that like I think he could be like literally anybody's thing and mm-hmm. he's attractive in a way that surpasses and intimidating also and and scary sexy in that way. Um so yeah so that's it was a good question. It's like I have no idea how how anyone makes that decision, but yeah, Rhea's just awesome, and I actually think that they're what they're doing is really compelling on NXT because she has a heels um, cleverness and craftiness without, with, with while being a face, while being like a, a fairly like triumphant and victorious face.
0: I think that they've set her up perfectly to be the, the heir apparent to that title. Like, I don't think December 18th ends without her leaving with that belt. Oh, um, yeah. Especially considering how many times the, the, the word around the scene is that been that, you know, Shayna is moving up to the main roster. Um, which honestly, at this point, does that even really matter if NXT is like, like in narrative, like on par with Raw and Smackdown at this point?
1: Yeah. I, I keep wondering yeah. that myself now, like what's the difference? Yeah. I mean, theoretically smackdown should be the top tier right because it's on a on a network show or network it's on a network it's on one of the big networks it's on fox yeah so there should be raw and nxt and then smackdown above them so getting called up at this point should be like oh I'm go to smackdown but it's still very much framed as if nxt is still like the lower level and I think pretty much everybody I know who follows WWE regularly would agree that NXT is the best product by far that WWE is producing. Oh,
0: totally. Yeah, I, I haven't met anybody who, is, who has said that they prefer Raw or SmackDown over what NXT is putting out right now on a weekly basis. Yeah, you know? there's
1: just no, there's no question. I think when NXT used to only be an hour, they – There was no arguing because there was so little, there was so little fat, right? Like there was just like, it was all, it was, it was condensed. It was efficient. It was, it was all neat. And they, they keep true to that with the takeover shows, which I actually really love that when NXT does their takeovers, it's still just like what, like four or five matches. And Mm. the whole thing is like two and a half hours long. That's great. That's fantastic. That is the length of a, of a special wrestling show. Like no more than that. That's great
0: yeah in and out every match ha- every match hits you know there's no real lull in the action like it's it's the perfect formula that they've worked out down there for those oh,
1: shows oh yeah fantastic
0: yeah so uh, i did want to hit uh real quick the new AEW signings with you uh before we move on to the last uh topic here um of course this week AEW made it official they announced the signing of both big swole and chris statlander two very notable uh women uh, female wrestlers on the indie scene um and two wrestlers that i think really deserve those deals and deserve that spotlight um within AEW, um, especially with what they're doing with the women's division
1: yeah absolutely i i'm excited for these signings um i have been critical in recent well since the since AEW premiered on TNT. I've been critical of the way that they've been working the women's division, um, not without, honestly, n- not without cause. Like I, like I said, I'm I'm a positive person. I was very excited about AEW. Um, I want I want to buy all the way in. I, I do, um, but I do have some quibbles with how they're booking the women's division, especially most recently. Um, I do think that they have some problems with lack of focused booking, booking like. Um, but what they do not lack is talent and signing and oh, and they're so good at signings. Like these are really good signings. Big Swole is an excellent signing. Chris Statlander is a signing that most other major promotions probably would not make, but AEW is really smart to capitalize. She's only three years then. Like I cannot stress this with Chris Stat enough. She's three years into her career and she's killing it. She's had a crazy, crazy, crazy good year. She has, Delivered top quality, top notch matches everywhere she goes. Whether she is debuting a singles match at in AEW Dynamite or she's delivering a incredible death match for Beyond Wrestling, she is just one of the the top names on the independent scene right now. And I say names like I, I mean, you know, there's there's top women's wrestlers, there's top men's wrestlers. Chris Statlander is amongst one of the top independent wrestlers right now, like because she can work. In so many flexible styles, she can work in so many different environments, and she can work equally well against male and female competitors.
0: Yeah, no, I, think it's, I think it's a really good signing for them. I was hoping whenever she showed up on Dark, that was basically like, a, if not a tryout, at least like a trial run to see how fans responded to her and mm-hmm. just to see how quickly the audience... Got behind her without, you know, really any like build up or any um, like real introductory package or anything like that was really awesome to see because she is she is outstanding and she's been like you said she's been killing it all across the country this year and I'm really happy to see her get her chance at such a young age like what 24?
1: Yeah, yeah, 20. I mean, yeah, she's still in her early 20s. Yeah, yeah, and like three years into her career and just absolutely like has has an innate understanding of how to, to work being in a ring, how to, how to carry a crowd. She has insane athleticism. I mean, just insane athleticism. She is, she is not a, like a thick woman. She's, she's an athletically built woman who um, because she is built like like a solid, but athletic way. She just seems formidable without even really having to like, bulk herself up or or dress herself up at all um i think that her her alien uh galaxy's greatest alien gimmick is fantastic too because it allows her to be playful and weird but she can also take it to dark places uh i saw that in limitless wrestling a couple weeks back when you know she had this great feud with ashley vox and she was definitely playing heel in the matches with ashley And working it really well while still bringing her like signature style just in a bit more menacing and unhinged fashion, which I think is, is just such a good demonstration of her talents as a performer. So yeah, no great signing. I just, I need AEW's women's division to, so they've got the talent, right? Like they have talent, they've had talent, they have more talent now. And, um, but we we all know that, like, you can sign a million really talented people into your promotion, but you can still undercut them by by things like, um, you know, questionable booking choices or not giving them enough um, time and attention. And so this is something that AEW really needs to pay attention to, especially in the new year. Like, this has been a testing couple of months. And in 2020, they're going to have a whole year's worth of television to produce, so they're gonna have a lot to prove, but the biggest thing they're they're gonna to need to prove is that they can that they can deliver a women's division that is worth the women who are in that division.
0: Hmm. No, I completely agree. And I'm I'm really interested to see how that plays out going forward. Um but we only have a few minutes left here, but I did want did not want to let you go before uh, having a chance to just talk a little bit about um, a little bit of Japanese wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, most notably, uh, this past weekend's Marvelous event, which featured the tag team debut of one Nyla Rose, speaking of AEW, and and her tag team partner, um, Asuka, um, not that Asuka, the other Asuka, <laughs> <Alyga, laughs> over uh, the... Um, to quote her, the gender, or I guess to quote them, the genderless per wrestler, um, mm-hmm. over there where they formed an awesome trans tag team, uh, at, at the marvelous show this this Sunday, um, which was honestly like one of the more exciting things for me to see personally because like I've been following Nyla for a while, um even like her time in Japan before coming back to the States and and working the Indies prior to her her AEW signing and like seeing her get the opportunity to team with Asuka who has been killing it themselves over there for the past couple of years in DDT and uh, pro wrestling wave. You know, it was, I I think it was really awesome to see. I didn't know. I was just wondering what, uh, what your thoughts were on that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't gotten to see the show, obviously, but I do love that Nyla and Asuka got to, to wrestle together. And honestly, with so much of Japanese promotions, um, they are still very conservative in their approach to a lot of their content and to their the the things that they deliver to their audiences because they are still understanding their audiences as as, you know, um more conservative than say like, you know, your average American audience would even be um so like you know if you're someone like myself who's familiar with a lot of like ddt and stuff you may forget that because ddt is a promotion that's always taken like big splashy risks with their their stuff and it's they have a fan base that wants it and wants more um so for marvelous to really embrace um trans wrestlers in the way that they they have done but especially like doing so with a tag team of two like, you know, trans women wrestlers, like that is just such, that's, that's, I don't know. It's, it's very, uh, it's such a positive thing. It's, it's a very, very positive note. And um, having Nagayo have this as kind of her like farewell show too, just like it kind of caps it off of just like, you know, this is something that we built and um, we have built, we've built an environment and a promotion where um, these two women will like are we are able to highlight them and feature their talents and it's a welcoming place for them to exist as performers
0: no yeah i i compl- i couldn't have said it better myself honestly like it's just it's just really awesome to see and and i just there's no words that I can express just how much it warms my heart to watch yeah. this night and, and i'm with you i haven't seen the match yet and i god i want to see that match so bad yeah so. i
1: really i really really want to see it um and i mean just both oscar and nyla are killer performers i love oscar i think she's fantastic um you gotta catch them on on ddt on pro wrestling wave uh they have uh wrestled for ghetto move which has become a new favorite promotion of mine
0: i saw your lulu pencil
1: my god obsessed standing going
0: on
1: i'm obsessed (laughs) Lulu Pencil is my obsession. I like I my spiritual son has for, has for a long time been Hiromu Takahashi from New Japan Pro Wrestling,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I, Lulu Pencil has become my spiritual daughter. Um, they are both like ridiculously wonderful, um, broad, bold characters. But Lulu, but but Hiromu is like one of the you know top junior heavyweights in the world, and Lulu Pencil's whole gimmick is that she is terrible and never (laughs) stops trying which is like the perfect person like i just feel like she is the like the wrestler of our generation she's the wrestler of every like creative professional i know (laughs) she is just like she is the perfect wrestler for a generation of people who like were were told that if we tried really hard we could succeed and like just inevitably hit wall after wall after wall (laughs) um but yes, yeah, so Asuka has done time with Gato Move, which um, I hope I see her there more because I think that's a promotion that she could do really well in as well. So yeah, I mean uh O W E E like Asuka's been everywhere. So find find their matches because they're they're just fantastic.
0: Completely agree. All right, Emily. Well, I'm I'm really glad that you were able to join me for the show today. Um, so before we get out of here, definitely let everyone know where they can find you standing Lulu pencil. Um <laughs> <laughs> on the internet
1: yes okay so if you want to find uh lulu pencil or other wrestling related things you can find me on twitter at forked pgh that's f-o-r-k-e-d-p-g-h on twitter and i talk about wrestling um i'm unabashedly lefty so if left po- leftist politics are not your thing you might not want to follow me regularly because i'll go on a go little tears there I mainly talk about wrestling <laughs>
0: Ah, oh, awesome. Well, this has been such a fun conversation, and I hope we get the chance to do it again down the line.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: My thanks once again to Emily for stopping by and having that awesome conversation there. I, I highly suggest that everyone give her a follow over on Twitter. It's always entertaining, um, especially for the recent rash of Gato Move. Uh, gifts on her account. That's <laughs> always fun. Um, before we get out of here, though, I did want to give a quick shout-out to one uh, Pero um, and his tag team partner Odinson, collectively known as The End. Uh, they just wrapped up the All Japan Pro Wrestling Real World Tag League over there. Unfortunately, uh, they did not come out victorious. believe uh, that, that honor goes to the Violent Giants. Um, but... But no, they had a awesome tournament, from what I saw, and based off of Peros' uh, Twitter account, a lot of fun meetups with um, with Will Ospreay. Um, so the uh, the Bear and the Pig had a good old time over there in Japan for a few weeks. <laughs> um, so shout out to Pero for, for that, the a lot of awesome matches in that, and I highly suggest anyone who is interested check that out on All Japan Pro Wrestling's streaming service, um, top notch stuff. Um, but, of course, that does bring us to the end of the show, but not before we thank some people that make this show possible for us. Um, first and for- foremost, Daniel Quasar, the designer of the Progress Pride flag that we use in our logo. The Progress Pride Flag Design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. Find out more at quasar.digital. And then, of course, uh, the makers of our theme song here, Sarah and the Safe Word. Uh, of course, that song is called Formula 666. It's off the album Red Hot and Holy. Um, I am actually in Atlanta currently, uh, which is the stomping grounds of Sarah and the Safe Word, and I am hoping to meet up with Sarah at some point uh, because her and I go way back. Anyway, you can find them on Twitter uh, if you're not in the Atlanta area <laughs> at at STSW Band. Um, you can check out their music on Spotify or at Band on Bandcamp at SarahInTheSafeWord.bandcamp.com. Of course, you can always follow me um, on Twitter at wonderboyotm. And then, of course, if you're into video games as well, I do host a gaming news podcast alongside two awesome st- Twitch streamers, uh, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin. That show is called the Mr. Video Game Super Show that goes live on Twitch every Monday 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv deadsunentertainment. Sun as in the life star not as in the baby that you hold in your arms. This has been LGBT in the ring. Uh, for this week, please join us next Thursday and every Thursday here on the Outsports Radio Network, and of course, follow all the other shows—they're awesome. Um, we're right now. I'm hoping to have Daniel Trainer on next week to talk some uh, WWE TLC action, but uh, until then, everyone have an awesome evening or day. Or night or night or night or night. From the top of the bridge She made a deal with the demon So a lover commits? live but the moon is high And the devil is job It's the formula 666